Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know, and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors. Today, we're happy to welcome you to Cristobal Alonso, CEO of Startup Wise Guys, one of Europe's leading and ambitious back-to-back accelerators. Cristobal and his team have made more than 275 investments into early-stage SaaS, sustainability cybersecurity, and fintech back-to-back startups and are set to scale their accelerator model globally in the coming years. We can't wait to introduce you to Cristobal's knockout energy and bold thinking. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Cristobal, welcome to the European VC and probably most importantly, congratulations on the 10-year anniversary. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we're getting older. But yeah, (laughs) we have to celebrate good things, right? Exactly, exactly. Before we start, I have a couple of questions here to get to know you as a person and that we actually got some funny stories in here. So this is going to be exciting. So you are the global CEO of Startup Wise Guys, but you're better known as El Patron. And how come is that? Explain that to us. Yeah, well, I think there is two funny stories on that one. The first one is through years by being called Cristobal and my name is being misspelled in so many different ways. K's, H's, E's, D's. What's, what's been the worst? What's been the worst? I think Cristobal with E-L-D and an H in the middle. You know, that's I think it's not the, the top, right? So at some point it's like, man. So somehow people, I guess, drink a lot of tequila on the Johnster years because since I am El Patron de SantaWise.com, Nobody asked for the spelling, so that's working really well. But the story <laughs> behind the name was that at the end of the day, Startup Wise Guys is the first idea about the name of the logo was coming from Goodfellas for the movie. So the wise guys, right? So everything initially was at that time, everybody was calling the Estonian Mafia because of the 500 startup CEO talk about the Estonian Mafia. So the whole thing was Mafia, Goodfellas. So the boss in the company was El Capo. But then I said, hey, I cannot be El Capo. I'm more Hispanic than that. And then people said, and Narcos was going on. And Plata, Plomo makes sense. Startup VCs, El Patron. So against the stick, people like it. And initially it was kind of a joke. More than El Patron, people call me Patron, como estas? I say, yeah, <laughs> fine, you know. So some people find it pretentious, eh? But I, I think it's good, it's fun, and they always spell it right. So this is a huge advantage, you know? Uh, Well, I I think it just shows the culture. And as long as you're having fun with it, it's all good, right? (laughs) Cool. And uh, another follow-up question on that. So if I'm not mistaken, you are a basketball player or at least a basketball lover. And I know you often use baseball coaching analogies in your work. I don't want to know all of them, but I do want to know one of the best ones. Well, to me, I think the best that summarizes everything is that you know, the coach is the one who puts the players in. So it's never the player fall, it's always the coach fall, right? So to me, it's a management philosophy about in my employees, in my teams, it's always my fault, it's always the coach fault. I put the players. But at the same time, it's an investment philosophy. I don't make the shots, the CEOs do, right? So when we invest, we say, hey, we're going to train you, we're going to coach you, but you're going to be shooting the shots. 
and you decide if it's your left hand, right hand, or the moves you make, and not to give you advice on the play, right? So to me, it's the philosophy of coaching around investing. But at the end of the day, the end decision is always on the startup CEOs. But in my team, it's always my fault. I'm the coach, and they want to fire and to blame, right? And to keep the pressure off my team, because they will make mistakes, and I want them to keep shooting, not to be afraid of making, right? So to me, that's a philosophy. By the way, I still play. I um, actually have two games in the Danish League this weekend. God knows why, of four is something they put us two games in a single weekend. So Monday, I might not be able to walk. But apart from coaching and apart from watching a lot of EuroLeague basketball, never NBA, I'm still playing and scoring my five, six, three-pointers once in a while in the game. So I'm good at it. Oh, <laughs> nice. My final non-VC-related question is actually a couple of words, and I'd like you to comment, which is Casino Nights in Alicante. Casino night in Alicante. Uh, well, I don't know who gave you this one, but that's, you know, that's good. So we used to have a get-together physically with our portfolio, invite some LPs. And the last time we managed to make it was in Alicante in 2019. And the only place that we could put together 200 people at that point was in the casino, right? The topic went from there, right? So uh, I think some people have a more fun night than others. And some people lost more money than others, but, but you know, everybody <laughs> remembers. So it was the right thing. So let's see if this year, hopefully, not hopefully, we are going to get together like, finally after three years waiting in Portugal, in Lisbon. So let's see if it's Casino Night in Lisbon, the next rumor that you hear, you know, when we talk this time, right? <laughs> I'll keep my ears to the street. <laughs> uh, for the record, I didn't bet any money. I actually am so competitive that I, there is two or three things that I try not to play because I know how it's going to end up, right? Very well, very bad. So I prefer not to take that route myself sometimes. <laughs> well, that answered to our Duarte's question that we promised to ask, which is when is the next one going to be? Last weekend of September, Lisbon is happening no matter what. Now, after having had fun, I think that we should jump to the more serious questions. And the first thing I want to hear is you're different from most players. You're both an accelerator and VC. And that has a lot of ramifications on so many levels. First of all, Cristobal, take us through your investment strategy and your organization. How does it all work? I took a long time listening, especially to Oliver from Speed Invest, because I think our models are very similar, even if they start later. But it's the, the way we have a much larger company, much more support, much more of a community. So it was very interesting to hear his thoughts. He's one of my inspirations. Funny enough, I was the chairman in one of their companies because he called me nice. to do it. So I'm actually an old Oliver for a long, long, long time, right? But I think the investment strategy summarizes that we're the first believer. We want the, always to be the first to invest in the company. Sometimes there is a local angel, but in a way, the first international player who is investing, right? So, which means we invest on teams. You can have a product market, but at the end of the day, it's so early on, you're betting on the teams, right? And that's the investment strategy. I think the second one is because we invest so early and we always invest. So we are not, oh, come to accelerate and then we decide. If we believe in somebody, we invest from the beginning. In the current world, of course, I think it makes even more sense because valuations are so high that it makes sense that you do it at the beginning. I think the second one is that even exiting in Series A and Bs, if you're able to follow on, which we do, you can have excellent results and excellent returns, right? Because at the end of the day, you enter much earlier. So we believe, contrary to what many people think, that we have way less risk than Series A VCs, right? Which reflects in our, I would say, investment strategy, which is, of course, we have the high class, I call it, the two, five, 10 teams that make even near unicorn status. 
that will give the biggest returns, but I think our middle class, this 25-30% right below, can give us excellent results. And this is why, first, we have a survival rate, which is 80 months after acceleration with revenues of 80.3%. So it's not 10%, it's 18.3%. So if we get one third of that to be able to provide returns in one way or another, on top of the super, super top percentile that any other VC, including us, gets, I think that's why we provide excellent results. But secondly, we have more impact on ecosystems. Because you get these little uh, fellas that were nobody, suddenly they make an exit of 10, 20, 30 million, doesn't really matter, doesn't need to be a unicorn. They become in that little city in Kiev, in Ukraine, uh, live in Romania, the role model that people want to be, right? And that's the thing where our impact goes way beyond the return on investment, which is also, I think, very good, right? So first believer, follow on up to Series A, usually pro rata, maintaining our 10%, usually no more than that. Couple of times we might do a seed investment in collaboration with ecosystem because we like some players, we have the potential to do 20% of the fund like that. But our key thing is investing in accelerated companies. To your questions, I can see how that has evolved because it has changed dramatically. But we are more than accelerator, but we love being an accelerator. And I don't want to be anything else. Most of our competitors have decided to go up in the ladder, to don't call themselves accelerator, to don't be there. We love it. It's just that the market changed, but we love to be there at the beginning, working very hard with the founders. I think that's what we're really good at doing, right? That was actually my next question that I'd love to hear you juxtapose you to probably the two biggest players that the people kind of know across here. Of course, Techstars are the big players. And then on a global scale, Y Combinator, I'd love to hear you just say your model compared to theirs, both from a founder perspective, but also from an LP or co-investor perspective. How do you act? Yeah. I think those are two very different animals, by the way, mm -hmm. yeah. because I think Techstars is still accelerating, is still working with the founders. Y Combinator is an index fund today that go for dinner, right? And they have a very good network and a great demo day, but that's it, right? When you invest in 300 companies in one batch, you cannot tell me there is a one-to-one -one support, right? And that's fine. I think it's an amazing model, but I think it has evolved. Techstars is still accelerating. We might evolve the model, but they're still accelerating working one-to-one, -one, right? I think the big difference, Techstars and us, is that no matter the location, and location is interesting these days, we have one brand, we have one investment strategy, we are behind every single deal. Techstars has a lot of sub-funds, a lot of almost licensing. The Paris team is not cooperating with the London team. They might have different even investment strategies. All of ours, even if we have different funds, I'll align together. At the end of the day, they are going through me and through my GPs, but me as a CEO of the company. For us, the brand is one. And that's the thing where we think is very different. As a co-investor, I don't think we are much different from Techstars. We follow up, we have our up to quarter of a million, 300,000 euros ticket. I would say the big difference, I don't know how Techstars does that part. So I don't know call it the big difference. I can tell you what we do. And I have seen it very different for others. And I think Rockstar and us, which to me, Rockstar is the other European big player, not Techstars, in my very humble view. I think it's the support we give to the portfolio, at least until VCs come on board, large VCs. So it might be pre-seed or might be seed when others take on, right? So this year and a half, even two years, that we continue supporting them. Sometimes through programs that we have, 
that you know there's money involved, etc. Sometimes we just give me a call on Sunday and tell me how things are going, or let me connect you with our coach of sales because you have a problem right now with the pricing or with the commissioning strategy. It's the support that we give. And I always say the moment I don't remember the name of the status of the founders may becoming too big. That has pressure on me getting older, which I am, but I still remember about 266 startups and founders. And I think that's the difference. It's the support and it's this belonging to this community that I think we only extract in 20% of the value, but it's still the largest founder community anywhere right of Germany and soon probably anywhere in Europe overall, right? And now we enter even Africa. So I think that support model, I think is very different. Uh, just to give you an anecdote, we were just in a round, we all the way to seat, and there's six VCs in the round that have gone investing, etc. And the CEO says, guys, I'm closing. I couldn't pull the last money. I'm closing, right? I was the one on the phone calling. The founder said, but do you want to fight? Or that's it. No, no, I want to fight. Uh, I called three of the VCs. They said that we couldn't invest. And we put a one million round to kind of turn this thing around, etc. I think so. We are not the biggest. We don't have the most money. We are the founders driven one that is there kind of still there to try one more time. If it makes sense. And if, of course, then as an investor, we can put a hand and take it to so belief, right? Because you can just call people, but then you don't put your own money, right? So you have to also prove that. Yeah, I'm curious, and I'm going to start with something that I often tease accelerators and incubator managers and founders uh, with, and then a question that's more serious. But we have many listeners to this show that are etching their way into VC and starting to raise their own funds. And many of them are using some type of venture builder model, accelerator model, incubator model. And when they say to me that they don't have a fund connected to their incubator or accelerator, I always say that, well, the difference between a good accelerator and a bad one is that they actually managed to raise a fund. And I'd love to have your comment on that, even though it's provocative as hell. And then I'd also like to hear your thinking around you growing into the role of a VC and how you think about that whole path or journey as we have so many of them right now in Europe. We are practitioners, not consultants, right? So you're an accelerator, accelerating companies to get funding. And you don't know how to get funding yourself, what you're talking about, right? So how can I coach you? Yeah, you need to do this on the pitch if I am not able to pitch my own investment strategy, right? So, and again, our first vehicle was a million euros. The current one was 8.8. Now I'm raising 20. So I'm also growing with my seed series, my series C series, my series B series, etc. right? An accelerator works when it's run by entrepreneurs that understand how to invest, not by consultants who have money or by investors who want to play entrepreneurs, right? Because you are so close at the beginning, right? And you need to prove to the market that you're doing it right and that we are able to pick up again the right teams because this is a game about picking the teams. VCs can pick traction, unit economics, and the team is a part of the equation. We pick teams, the rest is bullshit because everything else can be changed so early on, right? And I think that's what it makes the difference. And you know, we entrepreneurs, I have so many times that we were three days to go out of money, right? Doug, one of my partners always says, we'll fix it. First of all, we, we've been there before, you know, we've been there before, we spent summers that, you know, there was 300 euros in the credit card, fine, you know. And I think that is what we can also teach and coach entrepreneurs about, hey, I have kids, I have mortgages, I have the same thing. You cannot lose your cool. You need to understand that this is not the end of the world if it happens. By being there, I think we can do it much better, right? The path, I actually don't see myself ever as a VC. I see myself as an investor, right? So is this the same or not? But to me, 
we are an accelerator fund, we have always been called, right? We are not an incubator, we are not a venture builder, we are an accelerator fund, but we invest, right? But then you just need to understand the economics and any investor VCs that you need to exit two to three rounds later with X amount of percentage and X amount of players will give you the returns. So I enter in the, pre, even before pre-seed means from series A, I can exit and I need to do 20X plus per exit. That's the model. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing changes. The Series A has to do the same thing. It does from Series D. So which means that probably he needs a unicorn. I don't. I think what changes is the market. That's actually the um, next thing that I really wanted to dive into, which is common knowledge would say you don't exit until there's a real exit. <laughs> and 20X is, of course, amazing. That's what you want. But still, you say that exiting at Series A, you'd say that there's still so much growth to come. So that's one thing. And another thing is, who the hell wants to buy your secondary shares? Okay, A, this market is very different from the previous market. A good comp, there is so many VCs, and when a company is doing well, everybody wants to invest, right? Um, so there is no route for almost all of them. And if the guys who invested before have money, unless you have a huge brand, you cannot get in, right? So in fact, there is a lot of people who wants to buy my shares on the VCs, right? The question is, we say, hey, but you don't believe in the team. So what usually we're doing a lot is I'm putting money still in Series A, but I'm selling my accelerator part. So I'm already giving access liquidity to my investors for the risk we took, but I still believe in that team probably going two or three more steps forward and it's still giving me another 10 to 20X there, but I'm not risking. It's a statistics, right? From A to D or exit, it's still 10, 20%. But I already took my 20% from accelerator to CUSA. I'm not going to take another bet. So I get some liquidity. Sometimes you cannot get liquidity. But today, I can tell you, and by the way, there is secondary funds created. Only in the region, there is three or four. They're all desperate to buy you. That's their business model, right? And even today, they're willing sometimes to buy you without discount because there is so much competition, right? Yeah. So I don't know, we have so far eight exits. Five has been trade exits, real acquisitions, right? say. Three has been secondary, but we have negotiated 12 to 14. By the way, we said no to 60, 70% of them, right? So it's not that we say yes all the time. It needs to make sense. But more for it makes sense if I keep putting money in that company for the next round, but I still can start getting liquidity. By the way, I've gotten 50x and 70x in some of those, not just 20x. I just said our average over eight exits is 22x, which is not bad. It can be better, but it's not bad if we put all of them together, right? I want to ask you to deep dive a bit on uh, something you said, which is the secondaries, when it makes sense. I'd love to hear your thoughts around, you know, what is the thought process there when you're exploring that path and uh, a bit of your learnings as well, because I bet there's a bunch. <laughs> yeah, well, first is that we don't have unlimited money to invest in follow-ons, right? So depending how many rounds, if it has been pre-seed, seed, serious A, at some point you run out of how much money you can put in that company. The moment you get to that point, you're at risk because liquidation preferences, other rights that get acquired, right? So to me, rule number one is that the moment you cannot follow much more, you're at your limit, probably you have a chance to get out of there, right? B is you get out of there with the founders are also. So in most cases, the VCs are okay that we sell part. If they're allowing also the founders to sell 5 10%, which to me is fundamental because they need to pay for the house and not worry about the future vacation in Monaco with the next exit level, right? But they have already been working for five years. You need to provide something for what they have fought for. So 
when we cannot follow on over reaching the limit, so we cannot continue acquiring rights or, or protecting our uh, dilution, and the founders can have also the chance to sell, so you say we sell with them, which also says that's a fair price because the founders are also taking it in that sense, right? So to me, those are the two rules. There could be a third one, but I'm never going to tell the founders is, I don't believe this is going to grow much more. Or we have taken too much risk, let's not take more risk on these guys. <laughs> and there's a third case, which is, sorry to say, I think the founder is an asshole, and I don't <laughs> want to deal with him or her anymore. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I have amazing founders that are assholes. So they're going to make exits, but I'm tired to talk to them. So I mean, five, six years. So one of our old rules were one asshole per batch max. <laughs> and that was when it was physical, because if you have two guys that are blah, 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 they pollute the coffee machine and the chemistry. When it's online, they have less chance to do that, right? But that was a very clear rule for us. And there is amazing entrepreneurs who are assholes, but they're so driven, but it's my way. I don't want coaching, I know how to do it. But you still think, wow. They have something interesting, but I cannot work with that person, right? Or sometimes you misread. We have, we misread people, right? When that happens, I'm sure they know. <laughs> but I also try to exit out of those issues. Say, personally, as much as I By the way, that's Cristobal Alonso, CEO of one of the GPs. My yeah. partners, usually the ones that I consider assholes, they probably consider I'm an asshole also, so that's reciprocal. <laughs> but they get along with my partners better, so that's fine, right? But I yeah. give my vote. We need to all agree that's what we yeah. should be doing, right? What about the other side of the equation where choosing the secondaries player? You know, what are you looking for in those partners or players through that process? I think there is two types of players in that sense. One is the pure secondary funds, right? I think there is a relationship, right? So in the Nordics, it was Peter Sandberg with Nordic secondary, the first one that really created something big. Now, you know, Rando has also created one in the Baltics, but that's getting to know the players. I know those guys are good fans, right? In the other one is the acquired VCs, right? And that is a discussion about with the founders also, right? So sometimes they say, do you want that VC in your cap table, right? If you're selling to ones coming in already, then it's just a financial transaction. If you're selling to somebody who will join the cap table, then I think you need to include the founders on the equation and on the discussion, right? It's only fair, it's the company, right? I don't think there is enough track record yet in the secondary funds to have a, it's called a secondary thesis, right? For us to choose while there is 500 VCs, we've been working with a hundred of them for the past three, four, five years, more consistently than before. So we know the players, we have our list, who is good, who is not, whatever, our own opinion at least, right? In secondary, it's a completely new world, right? So it's a Peter is a, probably the oldest one in Europe doing this and it's two years. Probably you asked me this question in 25 and I have a much more clear player because there will be many players and it will be the first cleanup also on the market, right? I was asking exactly because of that. I'm not very aware of what's going on in that space. So I was curious to hear the thoughts, but interesting. Yeah, early days. It's becoming very attractive. It's a competitor with serious AVCs in a way, right? Lower risk, different exit strategy, more liquid potentially because the way they operate. I think this is very typical in the US for many, many years, but in Europe, it's a new category, right? But it is becoming very attractive. LPs are attracted to it. I have seen how Peter has raised two funds in less than 18 months. I credit to him. He's a, you know, he's a, a very persistent guy. When he goes into something, he does it. But it's also the market has an appetite for a new asset class. The same thing that opportunity funds. There was nothing here three years ago, and now half of us have an opportunity fund. And there is an interest. You're just basically working on the next stage 
PC level with a bit of a different access to market, right? I'd like to go back to the thinking around building out an accelerator to become a VC firm, trying to dive a bit into your experience and also how you have built your team. So you are 50 people and you're 40 on the core team and then 10 more loosely couple. But how does it look on the distribution between investment team and operator team? Do you think of it as you said, Oliver Holly before he has an operator team and then or platform team, and then he has his investment team. Is it the same thing for you? Yeah, it's similar. By the way, we're almost 70 now, if you put all those numbers together. <laughs> This is scary when I look at the bank at the end of the month. <laughs> I would say there is the general partners team in which we have, apart from the main funds and regional funds and vertical funds, there is 13 of us in GP roles, let's say. Then there is about five to seven people supporting the funds in different ways, LP relationships, compliance, and then there is the rest is the holding, right? And within the holding, I will say it's 50-50. So 50% is running the machine, so project managers, marketing. And then I have about, I will say now, close to 20 people that is starting to get more in portfolio support, the platform that the Speed Invest develops, right? So how do we support those teams with managing directors in the programs and then with different specialists I'm right now creating a whole dedicated tech team that used to be one person. Now we need four to five people in different areas because we are it's getting bigger and supporting an extended reality team has nothing to do with a blockchain cyber, has nothing to do with a SaaS team, right? So we need to find different models for this and we get deeper and deeper into supporting the product side, right? So we say 20% is investment team periodicated, 80% is operations within operations, 40% or 50% of that is purely working with the teams, and 50% of that is helping running the company and running the different locations and the complexity that we can with us. I have four lawyers already, just to give you an example, I have four lawyers in-house, right? Which is a huge difference from value from others that outsource everything because this is actually the number one person called by the portfolio is our lawyers. Hey, what do you think about this clause? What do you think about this term sheet? What do you think about this one? This founder is leaving. How do we do it? We're going to a new place. We have to open IP secondary. There is so many things there. It's that our legal team, which by the way has been the most difficult to span. We got it wrong. The general counsel, Annie has been for us for years. We never got her wrong. But the, how to expand it, we got it around two or three times. I think now we finally got the model to do it. But again, it's very different to operate in Italy that is to operate in Estonia that is to operate now in Africa. So we need to understand the legal consequences. And that is something we offer to our LPs. You don't need to invest directly. We do it. We know how to do it legally. We have the frameworks. So we take some of the legal risk out of our LPs to have diversification internationally. And that's a very important part of it, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, Andreas, sorry, to be so simplistic, it's about talent. It's about coaching. It's all about the same, right? You're building a company. So the key thing is, initially, is how to build this team when you have very little resources, you're selling the vision, the culture. And now we're hiring an MD from INSEAD coming from London, which I can never think I will be able to attract three years ago, right? So now it's a battle for talent. I always tell people, I don't offer them careers, I offer them growth opportunities. And that's why we keep growing. Because I know that whatever you want to do, there is something you can do with us. But don't ask me for a career path. Go somewhere else yeah. because we're entrepreneurs. We create our own path along the route, right? But I haven't lost a single person in three years. Basically, we didn't work out. But I haven't really lost any talented person or anybody in the team 
in the last three years, right? That thing speaks a little bit about we're doing something okay, at least on the people management. I want to double click on something because I'm really curious to hear because you said we just attracted this guy, super amazing background. Three years ago, I'd never thought I'd be able to do it. And so I'm thinking about talent attraction and how do you find talent and how you source talent, you know, because the game just changes as you grow, right? <laughs> so maybe right now you're able to get more evident talent in the sense that it might even be more competitive. But back in the days, you had to find amazing talent, but you weren't that competitive because you had a smaller brand, you had less budget, et cetera, et cetera. I'd love to hear how that process has worked out to you, you know, finding talent in the early days versus finding talent today. Some things have changed a lot. Some things have not changed at all, right? So the one that has not changed at all is the culture, right? Meaning, and I wrote the book, Perform, and it's all about purpose, values, culture development. And this is something that I teach our status, coach our status from day one, right? That's the biggest differentiator. You have to have a vision, a purpose that goes beyond of your product, right? The second one is that we always bet in overlooked markets means we bet in overlooked talent, right? So somebody will not have gone to Latvia or to Estonia or to Armenia. Now maybe they go because now it's fancy, right? So I was there before anybody else. And I knew there were people called them more juniors, but I knew I could develop them for 10 years, right? So I have a long-term view on talent, right? So more and more, you know, people who has been with us five years, now they're managers, now they're managing people. Now I put them in conferences, in front of LPs. You couldn't even imagine doing that four years ago, right? Yeah. That's coaching, right? So you need to come with a mentality of coaching your own people. It's just not going to happen automatically. But the talent is so there. They're so ambitious, so hungry, so passionate. I think that's the difference of the region if I compare it with Western Europe. You never want to pay more than others. You shouldn't. That's why I go back to, I still sell the vision, right? So I can now pay, I don't know, seven, 8,000 in London. They still get paid 12 and 14. So still behind. I'm still selling the story as part of it, right? But I'm catching up a little bit. So I can now compensate with the culture. Before it was, I love your culture, dude, but come on, I need to feed my family, right? <laughs> now I can play a little bit that one. But again, we have the joke like, damn, if you have had a coffee with Cristobal, you will work with wise guys, you just don't know when, right? Yesterday, I was talking about a new lady in portfolio management. We met her five years ago. She was running the Business Angel Network in Ukraine. And I said, oh, then you had dinner with Christos. Yes, you see, that happens five years ago. So <laughs> but to me, so I always say, I have an agenda with what do I need to hire in the next two years, right? It might be regions, might be roles, and I'm nurturing names around it. I don't need to go for the kill right now. And that's how I also tell my people, hey, keep thinking, who do you need in the next two years? You need to meet them today. Same thing that investors. If you want to talk to index, don't wait when you're serious, eh? You need to talk to them today. So in two years, ah, man, you've done a lot of good things by now, right? Last one is, well, you know it, right? My team is 80% female, right? So they have great recommendations. That's why we keep being female, because they keep recommending just a little other females. I think recommendations in the team has played yeah. a great done. And the second one now, we really got interns. I just was calculating today. We converted one third of our interns to full-time employees in the last year. We have about 16, 17 through the year, all of them different nationalities. But again, you need to get talent very raw, very early because the market is very, very competitive. Um, but you just need to nurture them knowing what they can do, right? Exactly what every CEO of a startup needs to be doing today. There is nothing different in that sense, right? 
I love this vision and dedication to the overlooked both markets and individuals and so on. I'm curious to hear where that comes from inside Cristobal and also where are you headed? Oftentimes you see teams start in emerging markets and then move more towards the more developed, but you've just made a move to Africa. <laughs> yeah, I would say there is one part that comes from me personally as a motivation. I'm 167 and I play professional basketball, right? I was always the underdog, right? Ah, you're never going to make it, right? I never was going to make it in high school. I was never going to make it to college. I was never going to make it to professional. And I always made it, right? I didn't make it to a national team in Spain, but, you know, I tried. <laughs> so there is an underdog mentality. And I think when we have lived in Eastern Europe, Central Eastern Europe, we are just going to be always the underdog, right? Even the Estonians now, we are fancy, but we still have this underdog mentality. We come from behind and we surprise you, let's put it this way, right? There is a reason why I call it overlooked markets and not emerging, right? A, perception. People might feel bad and call it emerging or underdeveloped, right? And overlooked markets cover Italy was overlooked because among the bigger markets in Europe said, who the hell wants to go to Italy, right? But we saw humongous potential and the perfect storm two years ago. It just got a bit delayed because of COVID, right? We actually think very similar to Spain, which hopefully we will land sure. We see Africa, we see Latin America. So you already have the way we're going. I just want to be the biggest investor in the world by doing it in overlooked markets. So why Combinator will have all of them in the US and we have the same number, but across the entire world, which will spread the impact much bigger than anybody can do. So if I go to LATAM, I will have something in Chile and Brazil, but that's not where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Bolivia, I'm going to go to Ecuador, I'm going to go to Paraguay. I want to go to where the talent is being overlooked when there is almost not angel networks initially. And we need to, by being there, have those ecosystems going to the next level. Exactly the same that happened in Estonia, then in Lithuania. Now we see in Turkey, we will happen in Italy. That's the story, right? So I think we have a very strong belief. And a lot of people go to the developed markets, call it develop, because of ego. I have nothing to do in Germany. There is so many amazing people doing that work already. What I can do is help a startup that wants to enter Germany from my portfolio. That, of course. I can help my startups that want to go to the U.S. That's, I think, our evolution from before, right? Before we said, only to the EU. Now, hey, you want to go to the U.K., you want to go to the U.S., we'll help you. But I have nothing to do in the ecosystem as a VC in San Francisco, in New York, in London. Nothing. There is amazing people there. My job is to create relationship with them, help my companies who want to go there. But what I need to invest is when they, none of those guys are. And that's what will make a difference. And in Africa will be the same. I'm not going to South Africa. That's the only country that has actually developed to a certain degree there, right? I know to Nigeria, Uganda, Ghana, Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda. That's where we can actually have humongous impact. And by the way, it's just in one hour, I actually have bootcamp three for Africa. It's amazing to meet the entrepreneurs. You meet them and you're like, I want to work with those guys, right? Or with those ladies. It's just amazing. The level of passion, talent that is there is just infrastructure is worse. The things around it are different, but it's just an amazing experience to work with those entrepreneurs and make such a difference. Right? We should go to the quick fire very soon, but I have to ask you just to touch on the LP point here because we all hear that everyone wants to do impact, everyone wants to uh, do something that helps the world. The fact of the matter is that the VC funds that raise the most capital are the ones that primarily invest in London. How are you seeing the LP landscape react to your mission? I fully agree with you. The talk has been still an ROI return investment. I do think that combining that with being able to clearly measure impact and especially sustainability CO2 reductions one way or another is going to matter. 
we are not ready to do it in our Challenger 2. We're ready to implement it and then put it as part of the measure thesis in, in three, right? One third of the investments, we have a sustainability angle, so a clear CO2 reduction angle, right? So I think that will come to be part of the play. But I agree with you today, you're not attacking LPs that way. Maybe it's an institutional, and we're not talking to them. We're too small yet for those guys. Our customer persona in the LP, we call it the hipster, right? The hipster LP, which is usually a former founder that has made a lot of money, that can be an angel investor, can be still another co-founder, can be an LP and place all those roles and attracts people in the ecosystem because they understand return, but also working with those guys there, right? They like that you're working in their country, making something happen, and they believe in the model, right? So they believe they're going to get money and good returns. They're comparing. Are you making more than NFTs of cryptos? Because there will be this talk soon with these people, right? But they're a bit more non-traditional. They're looking for something else that is not just returns. So you need to get the returns, but they want something else. And then be in the journey. So they appreciate what you're doing in the journey, and they see you as one of them. And other LPs follow them. Because in that market, you know, when Tabet does something in Estonia, people follow him, right? Because he comes from Wise. Is because of the money? No, it's because he is the role model. He's the hipster LP. The same thing comes with Korai in Turkey. He has done probably the third biggest exit. He's the biggest LP angel investor. He's still a CEO of one of the fintechs, right? That's the profile that I think we are good at attracting. What happened? Those guys don't give you 30 million. They give you four. 500k, so you need to have a lot of them. That's fine. At the end of the day, it's more work, but then you have a better network also for your startups because a lot of the seed rounds will still be down through some of the super angels, which has changed in the past. You need VCs. Now, two or three of these super angels can put a 500k round, no issue, right? So, having that connection with them as LPs, I think, makes a difference. In fact, they want to co invest. They see co investing with you in the next round as part of your proposition that is very attractive, right? I think that makes maybe a difference with other LP types, right? So we have very active guys, not just, okay, give me three years the returns, and I see you maybe in Lisbon or in Alicante, which by the way, we invite them to come. So there's an element of fun, right? We need to make fun to be part of us, right? So that's also a job. The LP experience has to be fun, not just a boring reporting and check, right? I love this. We could keep talking about this, <laughs> but let's go to the quick fire round and then maybe agree that we'll be seeing you in Lisbon. Cristobal, we always end our episodes on the uh, quick fire round. It's quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds per each. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, always. First question, as an investor, what areas excite you the most that other people don't really care that much about? Overlook markets, teams and sustainability on the food area, agri-tech, packaging, value chain, and understanding the NERCs of cybersecurity to understand what the hell they sell. Because when you do it, it's actually excited, but oh my God, it takes you so much time. <laughs> I love that. Now, second question, what's the most counterintuitive thing that you've learned since starting Startup Wise Guys? Tim is my theories about assholes, <laughs> uh, how, to, how to deal with them. So sometimes it's great, sometimes it's, it's terrible, and there's never an equation, right? So it's personal. And sometimes you need to understand whether you put your personal bias aside on when do you put it at play because we work with them. So we say that's counterintuitive. Is this is still a bias world, it's not an AI one. There is a personal component, and sometimes you invest in assholes and you know it. How do you deal with that? I think it's counterintuitive many times. Final question. When this episode goes out, it's gonna be uh pretty much on the day of your uh tenth anniversary. 
So where are you going to be in another 10 years? So when Startup Wise Guys is 20 years old? Hopefully, I mean, they're still running this. So hopefully my energy and my stamina is there. Y Combinator will like to be Startup Wise Guys in 10 years from now. <laughs> they will say, we will do the reincarnation of the model and in every place but the US. So Y Combinator is making a sample will copy us, right, in this sense, because we have done something nobody else has done. But to me, we'll be the biggest investor in Overlook Markets with the most impact in 10 years from now. And still having so much fun that it's worth it to look at 2040. But probably my kids will be start working with us at that point, right? And the kids of our partners, <laughs> and the kids of our founders, and the family, right? The family will be much larger. But I think we will reinvent the equation of Overlook and risk in early stage investment going forward. And I think people will start you know, want to copy us or work with us. Copy is too maybe aggressive, right? But yeah, do you think it might be too arrogant? It's okay. I think there's no better way to end this episode. <laughs> and I like the point of uh, global domination, but still fun. <laughs> That's very cool. That's very cool. Cristobal, thank you for joining us. It was super fun. Uh, I hope we uh, welcome you again soon before uh, the 20th birthday of Startup Wise, guys, hopefully. Hopefully. Let's not wait that long. Always ready to have fun, guys. Um, yeah, let's keep doing it. Thank you for your job and the podcast. I really actually enjoy listening to others. So that's great. Thank you. Thanks, Cristobal. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.